Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Smart Home Showtime. It's episode 24. Today's guest is Mark Walters, the chairman of the Z-Wave Alliance. Stay tuned. Hey everyone, Mike Wolf here, and this is the Smart Home Show episode 24, and today's guest is Mark Walters with the Z-Wave Alliance. As I mentioned last week, after or during or uh, sometime in my podcast where I talked with the folks from Thread, I, I said I was going to also do a catch-up with the folks from the Z-Wave Alliance. So I'm doing the rounds, folks. I'm doing the rounds, catching up with all the different standards bodies and uh, kind of checking out what's going on there. I know Mark uh, for some time. The last time I caught up with him was probably a couple years ago at CES. So it's been a while, and I wanted to get a refresh. So we had a conversation last week, and I got caught up. And I hope uh, you can get caught up, too, if you're familiar with Z-Wave. If you're in the smart home space, you want to know what's the latest with Z-Wave, this is a good show to listen to. As always, the Smart Home Show is brought to you by Next Market Insights, the leading market research and intelligence firm focused on the connected consumer and the smart home and all those interesting topics. We just published our newest report, the DIY Smart Home, that looks at the the smart home market, particularly those products and services that are basically self-installed by the consumer and managed by the consumer. And really, we quantified that market, and we looked at the overall size of the different players and the market dynamics. So if you're interested in that report, you can just go to nextmarket.co. You can find that there. You can also get a free copy of the executive summary. Just download it there and uh, check it out. As always, if you want to listen to more Smart Home shows, just go to technology.fm and find out where to subscribe there. You can also just go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Speaking of iTunes, I want to thank R.D. Kasten, uh, who gave us a review on iTunes. who wrote a great, informative show. It's a great way, great way to learn about what's going on in home automation. The shows with the Revolve and Instion CEOs were really good. Thank you for that review. And if you listen to the Smart Home Show and you're feeling generous, always uh, appreciate a review, uh, some nice comments in iTunes. That helps quite a bit. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Once again, my name is Michael Wolf, and here's my conversation with Mark Walters of the Z-Wave Alliance. Hey, Mark, I think the last time uh, I'm, I caught up with you is probably at CES. I think we actually had some face-to-faces there. It was maybe two years ago. How are you doing? Doing great. Been real busy, and uh, I do kind of recall the conversation uh, a couple of years ago, and boy, time flies when you're having fun. And yeah, a lot of things have happened with the Z-Wave Alliance. I should mention your name, your full name is Mark Walters. You are the chairman of the Z-Wave Alliance, and you're sitting in the twenty foot or the twenty story corporate tower of, of Z-Wave headquarters, right? Am I, I right I, there? I am on the twentieth floor, overlooking downtown Seattle and the ocean. <laughs> yes, exactly right. Or at least a picture thereof on the wall. We were just chatting before we started recording. You're actually working remote out of Snohomish. We're in the same county uh, right now. We're both in Washington State, so I didn't know that. I don't know if I knew that, but uh, good to. We probably should have done this face to face. 
but I wanted to catch up with you and hear a little bit about what Z-Wave has going on because it's been a little while. And so, uh, but how long have you been president of the Z-Wave Alliance? Let's start there. Yeah, so actually I was the uh, founding chairman of the Z-Wave Alliance when we created the alliance back in uh, early 20, uh, 2005, actually. Yep. And I've served as the chairman since the, since the inception. So whatever that is, gosh, nine, nine plus years now. It's a long time. And it's kind of crazy. I mean, over a thousand products later um, and over 200, 200, 250 members later, you guys have grown quite a bit. But I'm sure you can give some of the stats better. So let's get a catch up on where we are in terms of like products, stats, and actually, um, you know, maybe the actual notes shipped out there. Maybe you have some numbers for us. Yeah, I can certainly give you some numbers. And yeah, who knew that, uh, you know, nine and a half years later, we'd be at uh, 11,060 certified products, which is kind of where we are today. Okay. Um, so that's kind of fun. Uh, we have uh, deployed over 28 million devices now worldwide. Uh, so, you know, that may seem like a small number to some, but it's a very large number to us. And I think I'd like to always point out, you know, those 28 million devices are all in residences and small, uh, small commercial installations. So we're not out doing industrial. We're not out doing commercial, big commercial stuff. Um, it's all pretty much home control, command and control type applications. Um, roughly 6 million homes in North America have alarm panels that are enabled with Z-Wave. So that's a statistic that we like uh, and we think speaks very strongly for for the adoption of Z-Wave. Uh, so, and then you mentioned 250 members. We'll be announcing our 300th uh, Alliance member uh, at the CDS show here in September. Um, we've actually reached that milestone, but we've not uh, not announced it yet. So we're kind of holding on to that that name a little bit. But uh, you know, good good growth. Z-Wave is um, you know taken off. It's been very strong in North America, very strong in Europe, um, and we're now starting to get some traction in in China and South America, and um, you know just uh, just a general good trajectory. Good. Well, let's let's kind of go back in time and talk a little bit about because you guys are nearing uh, ten years now, and we've had quite a vast. We're living in quite a vastly different world than we were ten years ago. You know, having followed the connected home since even before that, um, when Z Wave came on the scene. It, it was interesting because you guys were focused on creating a low bandwidth, low power consumption technology for the home and home control. Um, and, you know, certainly the Internet of Things at the time had started to be talked about in terms of like some thinkers out there. Certainly M2M technology was out there. But that was really kind of uh, still a distant gleam in, in most of the industry's eyes. So I want to, you know, talk about the origins of Z-Wave. And then maybe talk about how it's evolved a little bit, because I think that's going to be a little bit of an interesting conversation. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. So Z-Wave actually evolved back uh, over 10 years ago. It was created by a small company in um, Copenhagen, Denmark, actually, uh, back in 2001, 2002. Um, some brilliant radio engineers from uh, Nokia and Ericsson decided that they would take their knowledge of radios and make a home control uh, line of home control products, um, and at that time, you know, home control was a handheld remote control and a light switch, basically. Uh, and they started out, set out to do that, and they realized very quickly that they were not um, brilliant lighting control engineers or brilliant thermostat engineers. What they were is they were brilliant uh, RF communications engineers. So they switched gears very, very rapidly from being a uh, a, a product company into being a technology company. Um, fast forward to two thousand and five. Uh, 2005, we saw kind of the, the start of what we call modern Z-Wave, and that is when um, we had several companies uh, in North America and Europe come together and form the Z-Wave Alliance uh, around the, the, the Z-Wave standard. And when we formed the alliance, we 
uh, had a couple of things that were very near and dear to our heart that we thought were critical. And uh, one of them was um, cross-manufacturing interoperability. And we decided right from the very beginning that what was most powerful to the marketplace was being able to have choice, being able to buy a door lock from manufacturer A or from manufacturer B or from manufacturer C and have them all work exactly the same way as far as the communication protocol was concerned so that people could have choice. We felt that choice was really, really important to the marketplace. We also felt that it was really important to, to maintain backwards um, interoperability or backwards compatibility because nothing is more, more agonizing than making an investment in home control and then turning around two years later and finding out, oh, I can't buy that anymore, that, that one product, went, that one company went out of business or, or they decided to grab the next shiny object technology-wise and, and uh, obsolete their, their, their past uh, history. So when we formed the alliance in 2005, we, we said, you know, we're, we're, we're going to maintain backwards compatibility, backwards interoperability. Uh, absolutely. We're not, no product left behind is our slogan. And we're going to make, make sure that we have a standard and a certification program that ensures consumers can buy products from different manufacturers and they'll interoperate. And, and that's where we really started. And when we started that, I'm sorry, you're getting ready to ask a question, but let me finish my thought. Yeah, when yeah. we started that, it was a different world. It was still a handheld remote lighting control world. Um, nothing that looked like uh, technology today. Yeah, and I want to I want to stay on and talk about how things have changed. But before we do that, you 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 talked a little bit about the origins, and and you were, uh, you were right to kind of mention how it was started before the organization started in two thousand five. And I think um, I'd love for you to talk to the fact that you know I think one of the criticisms that like your you know, Z Wave's critics will have, and I'd love for you to address this is because you know Zensis originally was the single source of silicon. And really, kind of owned a lot of the IP. That has been a concern for some. So, I know that I think in the last year or two, you've moved to a second source. But talk about that and address those concerns. Yeah, so that's a it's it has been a concern or something that's been much talked about. I don't know how much of a real concern it is, um, but the technology did grow out from a from a single company, and today is actually licensed by Sigma Designs. Sigma Designs purchased uh, Zensis Corporation back in two thousand and eight. And became the uh, the licensee yep, yep. Of, of the Sigma of the of the Z-Wave technology. Uh, today, you can get SOCs or chipsets, if you will, from two two sources: from Sigma Designs and from Mitsumi Corporation. Um, it does not have the broad base that 802.15.4 enjoys. Um, there aren't 20 different silicon manufacturers uh, out there supporting the, the Z-Wave um, uh, hardware platform. The hardware platform is an international open standard. Uh, it was uh, ratified by the ITU uh, as G.9959 um, back in 2009, I believe it was. So it is a, a, the Mac Fire are fully open um, and in the public domain. Uh, and we fully expect to see new silicon suppliers coming into the market uh, and supporting G.9959 when they deem the timing to be right. Um, People ask, well, why? Why is that, Mark? Why? Why wouldn't you have you know dozens and dozens of silicon suppliers? And the answer is actually fairly simple. It's not necessarily intuitive, but we have focused from the very beginning with Z-Wave on residential and light commercial control. That's all we do. We're really not interested in doing industrial applications. We're not really interested in doing uh, huge commercial spaces. We've really refined the technology to be about you know small collections small being, you know, a couple hundred collections of inexpensive um, uh, 
smart devices that would be used in light commercial applications and residential applications. If you take a look at that market size, historically, not so much today, and this is why things are changing today, but historically, the market for home control devices hasn't been huge. Um, And uh, what I like to say to, to folks that say, well, you know, is this a huge concern? is simply that it hasn't be, it hasn't been to date historically having a uh, a limited source of supply for silicon has not slowed the market growth it has not caused uh, uh products to be more expensive um you know it hasn't caused any of these problems that people want to infer that you get with a single source of silicon um you know to date we you know have not, never stocked out a a, a company with uh, with silicon shortage um, our prices are as competitive as anybody else's. Um, our technology is as fresh and as powerful and as relevant as anybody else's. So, um, yeah, the the underpinnings may be a little different from um, something like 802.15.4, but the net result into the marketplace is no different. And you talked about how the market for home control uh, back 10 years ago uh, and over the past 10 years may not have been enough of a an attractive market size for the big guys. But as we look at the market evolving towards the modern smart home, I certainly think that um, the overall uh, market is changing. I think it's growing because the ordinary device categories are becoming smarter. And so, but if you look at a lot of the technology companies today getting jumping in, they're looking at maybe other technologies because they may feel that uh, they want something that's like that is IP enabled, for example. So, Talk about how the markets change as we move towards a more modern kind of smart home, and then uh, you know some of the and the last criticism I'll, I'll just say from some other technologies is you know they want to use IP and, and Z-Wave isn't uh, native IP. Yeah, so the so some of the changes you know as I mentioned when we first started back uh, you know years and years ago it was all about a handheld remote control <laughs> you know and nobody uses those anymore everybody uses a cell phone or yep. a smart device or something right so that's a big change. Um, everything is connected to the internet today. It's pretty unusual to see a home control solution now that isn't connected to the internet through a set-top box or an alarm panel or some kind of a hub or a gateway. Um, and that set-top box or alarm panel or hub or a gateway undoubtedly has a Wi-Fi radio in it, and it undoubtedly talks to some app- application on a smartphone. So that has changed pretty pretty dramatically. What hasn't changed is the need to have a communications protocol for smart devices that allows you to communicate with the devices in a, in a very secure and easy way, uh, in a user-friendly way, in a way that is very efficient to preserve um, devices that have to run on, on batteries. And that's what we've really focused on with Z-Wave, and that hasn't changed over the years. Um, that's always been an, a, a requirement. So today, I like to say the front end has changed a little bit, the hubs, the gateways, the Wi-Fi smart apps, and those things have changed. But the need for the you know the light switch to talk to the thermostat, to talk to the garage door, to talk to the front door, um, you know that hasn't changed. And the communications protocol that we've optimized over the last 10-plus years Z, uh, that, that we call Z-Wave um, you know, has evolved as these product types have evolved and as technology has allowed it to evolve, but it still remains to be, you know, one of the, if not the most energy efficient, um, lowest latency wireless communications protocols in the marketplace today. And that's the key thing in your mind in, in terms of when you start talking about very low uh, power devices, things running on batteries, power consumption is the key. You don't necessarily think, as some others would argue, that everything needs an IP address. You know, we need to run over IPv6. 
Yeah, I don't. I mean, personally, see the advantages to running um, over IPv6 at my at my local house level. You know, inside my house, behind my set top box or my alarm panel or my hub or my gateway, um, having a local address and a protocol that doesn't it, that isn't native IP um, doesn't seem to be a disadvantage. And and frankly, um, you know, running IPv6 and things like six low pan, um, it, they're not as efficient as Z-Wave um, now. You know, there's pros and cons. There's lots of arguments about the Internet of Things. Right now, it seems in the industry, if you say Internet of Things and IPv6, everybody nods their heads up and down and says, yes, mm-hmm, great. And there there seems to be some kind of underlying conception that every device on the Internet is going to be directly addressable to its own unique IPv6 address from anybody, from any other device. And um, it's just not going to work that way. I'm sorry. We don't have an Internet of Things that is one giant network. Uh, you know, it just doesn't, it's just not going to evolve that way uh, for lots of reasons, security being the primary one. But just the ability to organize networks of that size is very difficult. And you need to have points of demarcation, gateways, hubs, things like this for uh, not only network organization, but for that wonderful thing we call monetization, right? So. Um, for all for any number of reasons, there are going to be even though the the pure IO, IP and IoT guys will cringe at this, there will be gateways and hubs and you know points of demarcation between networks. Um, and we feel very strongly at Z-Wave at this point in time in the marketplace, again leaving the the, the future open for evolution. At this point in time in the marketplace, that we uh, have the best solution. Um, for security, for uh, power, for user friendliness, um, with the Z-Wave protocol. Um, now, uh, the uh, let's talk Thread for a minute. Thread has announced that they are going to come to the marketplace with an 802. By the thread. way, I was going to ask you about Thread. So nice yeah. segue for yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, they've announced that they're going to come to the market sometime next year with an 802.15.4 platform. Fantastic radio, um, support, supported by many, many, many silicon vendors and used in lots of different applications, not just home control, which is one of the reasons why there's so many silicon suppliers in it. I think if 802.15.4 came out and had chosen to optimize itself specifically for home control and really squeeze that last little penny of performance out for home control versus being a more generalized platform, that they would they would not have the support that, uh, that they have in terms of the number of silicon suppliers. But uh, So 802.15.4 with an IPv6 um, layer on top of it. You know, should be rock solid. I can say right now that it isn't going to be as power efficient as Z-Wave, but it will be rock solid. Um, now, Thread hasn't said anything about what they're going to do above that layer. They've simply said that uh, they're going to bring 802.15.4 and IPv6 to the market. And I believe Chris actually said in your show last week that um, they're hoping to see many different protocols run on top of that on top of that layer. So. Um, it'll be interesting to see how you know how where Thread actually tries to, to, to fit into the marketplace. Um, but what we can what we can can say is that presumably, and again, this is a presumption because there's still a lot to be learned about Thread. Um, presumably, they'll be running the 802.15.4 platform at 2.4 gigahertz. One of the very first decisions that we made when we started out with Z-Wave is. Did we want to go with 2.4 gigahertz as our band, or did we want to go down into the into yeah. the lower bands of 900 megahertz? Did they did they state that, or did because I thought that they gave themselves a leeway to go down to 900 megahertz too? Yeah, so they basically have said it, what I've seen and heard is is 802.15.4, and and 802.15.4 allows both 900 megahertz and 2.4 gigahertz. 
Um, I, I do believe that Chris and Thread have said that one of the reasons that they like 802.15.4 is that they felt that they could jump on a lot of the existing products in the marketplace. And um, the vast, vast majority, I don't, I don't know percentage-wise, but I guess 99-plus percent of the 802.15.4 products that are in the home control market space are at 2.4 gigahertz. Um, we don't feel that that, we at Z-Web don't feel that that is the optimum place to be. Um, certainly, it's convenient to be in 2.4. And for your technical uh, listeners out there, the reason everybody jumps on 2.4 is it's a universal uh, frequency. It can be used in the world anywhere in the world. Uh, when you drop down... It's in an the, ISM band, right? Yeah, exactly, ISM band. And it's you can use uh, the same frequency in Europe and in, in uh, Asia. and, and in, does, this, does the crowdedness of 2.4, and it's certainly crowded because, as you know, you're starting... Probably to say, I mean, Wi-Fi runs there, so everything, all that traffic is there. But if if we're running low low latency or running low bandwidth, a hundred, I think you know, what does E-Wave run at? Hundred kilobits per second. Yeah. So there's. Does it does it need to be? Does it does does the crowdedness of two point four matter if it's running at such low speeds? So that's a great question. Um, it, we we believe it does matter. Um, and yeah. We chose to go down in the 900 megahertz band for a couple of reasons. One reason was congestion. We were concerned 10 years ago. We were concerned about uh, congestion and coexistence in 2.4 gigahertz um, with Wi-Fi, with Bluetooth, with all of these other applications out there. Another reason to drop down in, into a lower frequency is that you get better object penetration. So the lower the frequency, the better you yep. can get in terms of penetrating through walls and other physical materials. Uh, and, it, and the laws of physics basically tell you that at a given output power, the lower the frequency, the larger the range. What you give up is bandwidth. So as you go down in frequency, you give up bandwidth. So you asked a very, very good question about Z-Wave. Z-Wave today operates in three different bandwidths. When we first started 10 years ago, we operated at 9.6 kilobits per second, pretty slow. Um, our second generation brought in 40 kilobits per second uh, operation, and now our newest generation is 100 kilobits per second. Yeah, and that's what I was referring to. I think Z-Wave Plus when when I mentioned 100 kilobits per second. That's, yeah, that's actually, the new one, right? Yeah, so that's the newest generation, the, the 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 fifth generation. And we feel that, um, and not only feel, but we've certainly proven in the marketplace that 100 kilobits per second is more than enough bandwidth for doing. Um, you know, residential command and controls. And we can do door lock applications just fine. We can do thermostat applications just fine. We can do lighting just fine. All the sensors just fine at 100 kilobits. In fact, we were doing just great at, at 40 kilobits per second. So we didn't see the need to go to 2.4 gigahertz um, to get more bandwidth. We just didn't think that there was, uh, that the trade-off was was there, right? That we needed the bandwidth so much that we were willing to give up the object penetration and risk the congestion, um, so that's that's kind of where we are different from a lot of these other home control technologies is that we are using that lower ISM band. Um, now, when we, well, to be perfectly fair, when we first started to come out and talk about this, we used to, you know, tell all these great marketing stories, you know, fear, fear, and and this that, you know, oh, there's going to be all these collisions with Wi-Fi and problems with with 2.4 gigahertz and and things weren't going to work. And you know, the, the reality is, you know, back in 2007 and 2008 when we were you know, telling these marketing stories, uh, there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of problem with congestion and and um, problems with coexistence with 2.4 gigahertz radios. Um, that's changed. <laughs> One thing that's happened between you know 2007 2008 and now is we now have everybody using Wi-Fi to do things like streaming 4K TV, um, and it is getting very congested. So um, we are. 
thanking our lucky stars that we were smart enough or lucky enough, maybe more lucky than smart, to, to be in the 900 band. You know, I think that the the criticism that um, that I that Z-Wave isn't IP native doesn't really resonate with me necessarily because I agree with you that you don't necessarily need every little light bulb IP addressable, particularly when you have routers that have DHCP servers. Uh, you have NAT, you know you have NAT in the the house. Um, the the bigger question to me is um, the existence of a, of a discrete separate device with a with a, a radio needed to bridge, and so that's the question that um, I I think I would ask is you know do we see the need over time for separate hubs? When you look at the router, it's always going to have Wi-Fi, so that's a native advantage for Wi-Fi everywhere. So the question I guess that I would ask you: Do you ultimately see Z-Wave going into routers and gateways? Um, over time, do you, do you see places for Z-Wave radios in the house that wouldn't necessarily require a separate hub? So that's a great that's a great question, and the answer is absolutely. Um, Fred, and, and let me get, get back to the IPv6 question here in a minute. So we already have over 6 million alarm panels that have embedded Z-Wave radios in them in North America. Uh, and in fact, North, in fact, Z-Wave is used by 100% of the residential security marketplace in North America. So if you have a, uh, an alarm system that, that also controls door locks or thermostats or lighting, it's using Z-Wave. Um, so there's a perfect example of Z-Wave being embedded in, into a, a device that isn't a separate standalone yep. uh, hub. Um, there have been set-top boxes, and there are set-top boxes that are deployed in South America that have um, Z-Wave radios in them natively. Uh, so we do see Z-Wave radios being incorporated into products, um, you, you know, in, in a more integrated fashion, uh, as you suggest. Um, you know, one of the things that is is often um, sort of put against Z-Wave in the in the in the in the wonderful marketing market space out there is that we're old. You know, we've been around for ten plus years, um, and that sort of implies that you know we haven't brought any new technology to the marketplace. And as we were just talking about earlier, you know, we started out at nine point six kilobits per second. We're we're at one hundred kilobits per second. Um, we actually developed a IPv6 layer, uh, IPv6 that runs on top of Z-Wave, um, and brought that all the way to fruition and basically parked it on the shelf two years ago. Um, and the reason we did that is, is that we didn't see the need in the marketplace at that time to have an IPv6 layer on top of Z-Wave. Now, we developed it because at, at that time, uh, everybody was talking about the smart grid. Remember the smart grid? Yeah. <laughs> you know, smart grid was the biggest thing happening in the world two years ago, and it's all but disappeared now with fracking and cheap oil, right? Cheap being relative. Um, but so we developed a, you know an IPv6 solution, um, but we didn't bring it into the marketplace because it didn't really provide any advantages for the applications that we um, provide our, our, our products into. Uh, I, I think it's also interesting that, you know, uh, that the Thread folks have said, you know, they looked around, they couldn't find anything good enough, so they decided to bring 802.15.4 and IPv6 to the market. And I was scratching my head on that one. That kind of stuck with me for a while, and I, and I couldn't figure out quite that, why that was upsetting me. And then it, and then it hit me. Um, last year in March, Zigbee launched Zigbee IP, which is 802.15.4 with um, six low pan on top of it. So uh, I'm not quite sure where Thread Group is going with this wonderful new 802.15.4 with IPv6 on it. It'll be really interesting to see what new twists or spins or catches that they bring 
in, in their flavor. I guess I assume that they're going to be bringing their own flavor of, uh, of uh, IPv6 out um, since there's already um, you know, other ones in the marketplace. Yeah, and I think that you know, having watched the Connected Home Evolve over the past 15 years, I think you, there's always a, a comp- competition or a, a lot of contributing factors when people bring something new to the market. And certainly one of them always is agendas or you know, uh, control agendas or political agendas. And I wouldn't, I'm not trying to cast aspersions because I, I think that you know, they, may, they have great intentions. But I think certainly if you're, you're Nest or whatever or you're some of these big companies, you, you're going you're gonna to want to have uh, maybe a little more control in the market. So certainly that may be part of it, right? Oh, first and foremost, <laughs> full disclosure, and everybody, please put your your fingers in your children's ears. Um, we're all in this to make money. Yeah, exactly. This is <laughs> you know? okay. I'm sorry if I'm sorry if that sounds harsh, but you know, we're all in this to make money, and we're we're also in this obviously to provide the best user experience and to provide good products, safe products, products that add value to people's lives. This is how we make money. <laughs> you know, those things are necessary in order to succeed in the marketplace. Um, and you know, obviously, Z-Wave wouldn't be around after ten years with the with the success that we're enjoying if we haven't figured out at least how to do you know provide some of those values and benefits to the marketplace and and frankly to make some money for ourselves and our partners. Um, you know, we wouldn't be here. Uh, presumably, uh, the Thread Group is you know going to going to be at this for commercial product purposes as well and to satisfy needs in the marketplace and to make money. Although you never know with their backing, they don't really need to make money. So you know that their 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 slates may be a little bit different, or their gender may be a little bit more open than it is for the rest of us folks out there that don't have uh, Google backing us up. But um, there there isn't going to be a single right solution. I think that's very important. People seem to want to pit one technology against the other as if there was only going to be one standing in the end. And I don't think uh, any of us believe that there's only going to be one standing in the end. Or if there is, the end is a long ways out. <laughs> Take a long time to get to, to to harmonization, you know. And some of the things that the the thread group has talked about, you know, is is having the you know Wi-Fi uses IPv6 and Bluetooth can use IPv6 and you know uh, you know thread can use IPv6 and everybody's using IP and so all these devices will be able to talk to each other because they all use IP. Well, my my question is is what are they going to say to each other? Uh, you know, just because they use the same um, internet protocol um, for addressing and for communicating, that doesn't mean that they speak the same language. And this is where Z-Wave is really different from all the other technologies, and where we really hold our corner of the market very tightly. And that is that we require all of our manufacturers to use the exact same what we call device profiles or device descriptions. So when you come to me and you say, Mark, I'm going to buy a Z-Wave door lock, I, you know, or I have a Z-Wave door lock, I know exactly how to talk to your door lock because there's only one definition for a Z-Wave door lock in the world. Um, you know, if you come to me and say, hey, Mark, I got a Zigbee door lock, I'm going to say, you know, well, that's cool. Do you have a Control 4 Zigbee door lock or do you have a Comcast Zigbee door lock or do you have a Centralite Zigbee? You know, what flavor of Zigbee door lock do you have? Because there's multiple ones out there and they don't interoperate. And this is the key difference between Zigbee and Z-Wave in the market, both very successful technologies, both meeting the needs of their market segments, but both of them serving very different market segments. Z-Wave serving the market segment that wants cross-manufacturer interoperability, and Zigbee serving the market segment that that isn't important to or that that is antagonistic to. Um, It'll be really interesting to see kind of where Thread goes with this. Um, Are they going to try to define the upper layers and if so are they going to define those things such that there's cross manufacturing interoperability 
uh, like Z-Wave has done, or are they going to define those in a in a more open or a more um, fuzzy way, like like Zigbee has? Um, you know, so yeah. it, there's a lot to be. You know, the, the, it, what happens with Thread and with some of these newer initiatives still remains to be seen. Um, at the end of the day, all of this techno garbledly gook stuff doesn't mean a darn thing to the end consumer. And what the end consumer really wants to do is they want to walk into the store, they want to buy a product that they recognize from a product that they recognize from a company that they recognize at a price point that they like. And you know, one thing I can say about Z-Wave and some of the lessons that we've learned because you know we're in we're one of the technologies in the Lowe's Iris system, we're one of the technologies in the Staples Connect system, we're one of the technologies in the Wink solution, we're one of the technologies in the SmartThing solution, we're one of the technologies in the Revolve solution. In fact, if you take a look at it, we're one of the technologies in every single one of these smart home solutions today. What we've learned um, just over the last 18 months or so of experience is that at the end of the day, once you get past the early adopters and the shiny object grabbers, the people that are buying the Nest thermostats and the Hughes light bulbs today, once you get past that that first rush of, of early adopters and shiny object people, what the end consumer is doing is, is they're going in and they're buying you know, the GE light switch over the Alert Me light switch, uh, and the Alert Me light switch is at $49, and the GE light switch is at $39. And so they're walking out with the GE light switch. And in every case, they're buying the component from the manufacturer that they recognize or associate with that with that component. So, you know, if they're buying lighting, they recognize GE, they recognize Cooper, they recognize Leviton. If they're buying door locks, they recognize Quickset, they recognize Baldwin, they recognize Schlage, they recognize Yale. So I think the technologies that are able to bring choice, bring price points, bring brand names to the end devices, those are the technologies that are going to going to be the yep. most successful. Well, you do realize that I'm going to have to now talk to Zigbee because of, of uh, <laughs> us talking about them. But, but I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, I've certainly seen maybe uh, more displacement of Z-Wave in, for example, locks by Bluetooth because I've noticed like the new wave of, of locks uh, are using Bluetooth low energy because uh, they're, they some of these guys are touting direct connects with the smartphone and certainly every smartphone out there has, has Bluetooth. Uh, maybe we've seen that a little bit in things like cameras now because the uh, Dropcam, for example, integrated Bluetooth low energy. So talk. what are your thoughts on Bluetooth vis-a-vis uh, -vis Z-Wave and how do you see that shaking out over time? Yeah, that's a great question. So first of all, in the door locks, it's a different application or a different use case. Um, the, the reason that the Bluetooth is in the door lock is so that you can unlock it with your with your smartphone. Um, and, you know, do I wish we had Z-Wave radios in every smartphone? Yeah, absolutely I do, but we don't. <laughs> so, but the, for, for example, I think this week Kibo announced, uh, or certainly Kibo is going to enable an Internet gateway, and there's no Z-Wave involved. So some of these newer Bluetooth locks are allowing for uh, remote connectivity, um, which before would have uh, would have required probably Z-Wave or Wi-Fi. Yeah, well, exactly what Chris, uh, you know, Chris from Thread said last week. You know, there's different these different technologies do different things. Wi-Fi does something you know a little bit different. High data rate, high power, long distance, not so good for batteries. Bluetooth to date is good for small networks um, over short distances at reason reasonably high data rates. Um, but you really can't put together a Bluetooth solution for an entire home today. Now, there's been a lot of talk in the industry about Bluetooth, true Bluetooth mesh networking, um, and it's not a standard yet. Uh, in, in, you know, it's something that, that is really nascent. 
Um, if we see that come to the marketplace, that, that could be an interesting um, uh, it, evolution. Uh, but what takes, it, I'm sorry, it takes more than a transport layer to, to make a solution. And even if we see, you know, Bluetooth, you know, come out and enable, a, you know, a lock, are they also going to enable um, lighting and they're going to enable thermostats and they're going to enable all the sensors? And are they going to enable those in a way that multiple manufacturers can participate in the same network and that's the big one that's the gotcha you know if if they come out and you have a, a belkin wemo solution and you have a, a thread solution and you have uh you know some other solution and it's an island um and it's not an open interoperable cross manufacturer uh type technology then that will appeal to a certain type of 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 buyer um and uh, something like what Z-Wave has done, where we've got a standard that says, you know, hey, you can buy multiple, de- you know, the same device from multiple manufacturers. That's going to appeal to a different market, to a different marketplace. All right, Mark. Last question: Where is Z-Wave going in the future? You guys have certainly evolved quite a bit. You have a good, a good track track record now after a decade. What's on the agenda for future evolution of Z-Wave? Yeah, there's some, actually some new technology coming out around IP uh, as well. Um, there's a new new technology that was just released as part of the latest SDK for um, Z-Wave. It's called Zip and Zipper. Uh, Zip and Zipper are the uh, reference design for a very, very low-cost, lightweight um, uh, IP gateway. So um, what the Zipper does for you is it allows you to uh, join the Zipper gateway into a Z-Wave network, an existing Z-Wave network, um, in, including devices that go all the way date back to all the way back to 2003, um, and then communicate with those devices um, directly using IP protocol. So the Zip Zipper gateway um, is a address translation and a protocol translation between Z-Wave and IP. So um, as people you know decide that they want to build applications in a pure IP world. But they still, but they want to take advantage of the existing Z-Wave network, and frankly, take advantage of the more efficient Z-Wave transport protocol. They can do so through this this Zipper gateway. Um, so we're very excited about this particular product. And yes, I know to the IoT IP purists, it is a gateway. But you know, suffice it to say, it's a black box, no knobs, no dials, no setup included in your network. Plug it into your included in your Z-Wave network. Plug it into your IP network, and it automatically assigns either an IPv4 or an IPv6 address to every endpoint, Z-Wave endpoint that you have out there. So that's really exciting. Um, that's been uh, released to the Z-Wave uh, development community uh, as of the first of this year, and we're starting to see the first products being developed around that. Um, for, you know, what's what's in our future? Uh, you know, we've got just tremendous growth going on, and not just in North America, but as I mentioned, worldwide. Uh, China is turning out to be a very, very interesting market. South America is booming right now. Um, Europe is, you know, slowly recovering from some slow times, and um, we're enjoying, um, you know, really good, really good uptake. So I think uh, what you'll see from Z-Wave is an awful lot of more of the same. Um, you know, more manufacturers coming to our our solution to our standard, uh, more products coming to our our standard, um, and then again, and to those folks that want to pass us off as being perhaps antiquated or old. Um, you know, there will be uh, new uh, evolutions um, of Z-Wave as market requirements, um, you know, uh, demand them. So things like the zipper that we've just released, um, things like, you know, the new Z-Wave Plus um, fifth generation Z-Wave products that are, again, fully backwards compatible, no products left behind. 
but then also bring in the most modern technology and solve the problems of the most modern use cases. Well, I think we're never going to get rid of gateways as far as hard as people are trying. So I think they're here to stay. Um, and Mark, thank you so much for taking time to catch us up on what's going on with Z-Wave. And it certainly has been educational for me. So I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for your time. And, you know, again, I want to say to, to all the listeners out there, um, you know, there's lots of great solutions. Um, and I don't think it's a one solution marketplace. And each of these technologies kind of has their own niche. And uh, you got to find, find the niche that you want to play in. So there you go. You're all caught up on Z-Wave. Mark had some interesting thoughts, I thought, on where Z-Wave is going, as well as some of the other standards out there. And uh, certainly, I, I'm caught up. I feel. I hope you are as well. Uh, again, if you want to listen to more smart home shows and get caught up on the whole smart home universe, you know where to go. Technology.fm. Look for the smart home show. Or go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and you can find it there as well. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. My name is Michael Wolf.